0: Welcome into nurturing financial freedom. I am John Jagay. I'm joined again by Alex Cabot and Ed Lambert of Birch Run Financial. Always good to be with you guys. Happy holidays. I'm excited to learn something as I do every time we check in with each other.
1: Great to be here.
2: We're excited. It's the it's the holiday season. The year's almost over, and it can't come soon enough. 2020. I'm ready to be done with it. I think you speak for us, all of our
0: listeners, and then some, when you say that, Alex. But with the end of the year coming, obviously the stock market has been on such a wild ride. Can you lay out how it's fluctuated this year and what lessons investors should take away from this year that we all want to forget?
2: Yeah, wild ride's a good way to put it, Jag. It it really has been uh, (laughs) pretty insane how the stock market has performed in 2020. So, uh, set the scene a little bit. 2019 had a very strong performance. We had a couple of little bumps in January. There were a few news reports of this strange respiratory virus that had emerged in China. (laughs) And that caused a couple of bumps in the road here and there. But overall, January was a pretty good month. I don't think it was positive for the S&P 500, but it was relatively flat. And it was doing quite well through the first few weeks of February. On February 19th, the S&P 500 hit a new high. COVID was a minor concern then. Uh, There were a few more headlines about it. People were starting to take notice. But generally, investors weren't super nervous about what was going on. Toward the end of February, though, that's sort of when all hell broke loose. Uh, The 20th and the 21st of February, which was a a Thursday and a Friday, both slightly down days. But the following week, that's when it got pretty, uh, pretty crazy. According to data from FactSet, I pulled this a few days ago, from February 19th to the end of the month, the S&P 500 lost nearly 13% in one of the quickest corrections I've ever seen. It was seven trading days. The market dropped 13. The next week was choppy. The S&P 500 gained back about two-thirds of 1%. uh, But this is the crazy part. The average daily fluctuation that next week was over 3% per day. There were some big, big swings. Jeez. And just for context, the average like 30-year daily fluctuation in the S&P is about 0.8%. So 3% a day is, is massive. It's roughly four times, yeah. Yeah. And then we got into the beginning of March, and Monday the 9th of March... Uh, It brought further turmoil to the markets. Uh, OPEC and Russia began somewhat of a price war with oil. They sensed that demand was going to drop, and there was this huge conflagration of price changes and, and tensions, and that caused the market to drop further. That week, we saw the S&P 500 enter what's technically called bear market territory, which is defined as a drop of 20% or more from the recent high. Mm -hmm. Quickest drop to bear market territory that I've seen. And that was in the the middle of March. And when the dust finally settled uh, at the low point, which was March 23rd, the S&P 500 had lost over a third of its value in 23 trading days. That is a sobering statistic right there. Statistically, a a, a a very, very fast decline. But again, the decline was predicated on a bunch of unknowns. Uh, we haven't dealt with a pandemic of this nature in this country in over a century. Mm-hmm. And, and looking at it, people just didn't know what was going to happen. And the, the, the other thing that's interesting is, the average daily percentage move in the S&P 500 during that 23-day period uh, was 4.2% per day. (laughs) So that's over five times the long-term average. And that, to me, is a just monumental aberration from statistical probability. The rolling 10-day average daily fluctuation was the highest I've ever seen it. And I went back to the 1960s. I've never seen rolling 10-day average fluctuations uh, anywhere close to that. Mm-hmm. So what happened? I mean, obviously, we, ha- we, had, a, we had a shutdown, and, and it, was, it was a crisis. Businesses were closed, hopefully temporarily. Uh, millions and millions of people lost their jobs. People had to adjust to working remotely. Uh, of course, our team here uh, worked remotely for, for several months, almost exclusively. Uh, kids and parents had to adapt to this new, quote-unquote, virtual learning. It, it was a gloomy period, uh, not just economically, but for the world and for the country. It was just, sure. a, just a, a lot of gloom out there. Uh, March 24th is when things started to turn around, at least in the markets. In response to high likelihood of a stimulus bill making its way through Congress, which eventually did, the uh, the CARES Act. Markets rebounded, the S&P gained almost 10% in a single day on the 24th, and by the end of that week, the market was only off 23.7% from its recent high. I think it was 33.4% down, and now it's only down 237 so a big improvement, but still a ways to go. Right volatility stuck around for a while. Uh, Investors were slightly more optimistic. Uh, We had some bumps in the road, but April, May, June, July, and August all resulted in solid gains. And believe it or not, on August 18th, six months after the previous high, the S&P 500 inexplicably hit a new high in the midst of that sort of summer surge of COVID cases. And- a testament, I think, to the fleeting nature of this crisis and the fact that a resolution at some point was uh, was definitely there. Although we didn't have uh, full vaccine data yet, uh, I think people were optimistic. Uh, Marcus bounced up and down a bit in September and October, but closed November strong. And as of a few days ago, they're about 9% higher than their peak in February. And to me, being at this point in the market, at this point at the end of the year, uh, it's it's pretty remarkable. But once the vaccine data had been released, and it was apparent that we were getting doses and people would start getting vaccinated, I think this wave of optimism took over. And that's certainly a welcome change from the the pessimism that we saw earlier. This goes back to something that you've mentioned in previous episodes, Alex, and that is that
0: markets tend to look forward they're not so much a reflection of where we are in the moment but they sometimes look toward the future once that vaccine data came in i mean you gave us a lot of data there and if i could boil it down to a couple sentences essentially we had a ton of volatility in the beginning of the year as the pandemic set in and we started to learn more about it and then slowly things crept
2: back and then eventually to a record high so at the end of the day alex what can we learn from all of this There's a few main points that I'm trying to take away from this. And and these are points that are universally true, irrespective of market conditions. But number one, in the short term, markets are completely unpredictable. Yeah. We can look at an economic environment. We can look at an individual company. We can look at at an exogenous event and say, oh, well, that will do this to the market.
0: Okay, let me get
2: my dictionary. Hang (laughs) on. Exogenous? Okay. (laughs) Something affecting it from outside. Ah, okay. I'm going to go with outside, but continue. Yeah, that works. Uh, an outside event, uh, we'll, we'll say that. You know, we, we just don't know in the short term what that will mean, because the price of assets is determined by enthusiasm of buyers and sellers, and people's enthusiasm is driven by emotion, not just by numbers. I mean, it's driven by numbers, but emotion is definitely a factor in it. Number two, uh, bailing out at the wrong time can create a real problem. mm Ed and I work very hard to keep people invested in the right allocation, to stick with the plan that we have in place. And we were fielding a, a number of calls back in March and, and even some in February about uh making some changes and switching around risk profiles. And you know, for the for the people who stuck with it, they rebounded and recovered extremely quickly. And I mean, most people who stuck with the plan are, are better off now than they were when the market peaked in February. Uh, but anybody who pulled the trigger made a big unilateral change in their profile at the wrong time may not likely hasn't gotten back to where they were. Uh, and that's just a testament to the fact that, again, in the short term, markets are unpredictable. And even though it seemed like the end of the world was coming, the market rallied, the Dow Jones Industrial Average went from you know, 18,000 and changed to over 30,000, at least by a couple days ago. Uh, and I think that's pretty remarkable. The other thing, You know, we talk about this sometimes, that money has to flow somewhere. Mm -hmm. When there's money moving, it doesn't just go into stocks from nothing. It doesn't just leave stocks and go into nothing. It it has (laughs) to turn into something. So money has to be moving around, and it has to be going into something. So if money's coming out of one asset, it's going into another asset, driving up the demand and the price of that asset. Mm -hmm. So you see something like broad diversification work reasonably well through most of the types of volatility that we saw. And if you are balanced correctly, some of your assets are going to benefit, and some of them will get hit uh, during that downturn. But again, the important thing is you don't sell an asset when it's down in value. That's why you diversify the way that you do. And the final thing, when interest rates are low, equities tend to be more attractive, because there's not much of an alternative. And when interest rates are really low, like they are now, there's really not much of an alternative for intermediate and long-term investors. Uh, Going out and buying a 10-year treasury bond that pays less than 1% versus buying an equity index fund that has a dividend yield of double that and the potential for capital appreciation, if you have a 10-year time horizon, there's really not much of a choice there. But you still have to balance things correctly and You get take a haircut on the fixed assets and the conservative assets, but hope that the other assets will buoy them up. Again, something you've said in previous episodes about having a plan, working
0: with you guys to create a plan.
2: To sum it up, I mean, if if you had told me on January first what was going to happen this year, I mean, not in the market, but just in the world, and then asked me to predict where the S and P five hundred would be today, uh, I would have been way off. Let's just say that. (laughs) I think that's true for all of us. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But you know, no matter what our emotions tell us, we have to recognize that. A well-developed financial plan takes years like 2020 and the events that happened earlier this year, it takes them into account when determining how to invest assets and and what the strategy should be. And the people who had a plan in place and and most importantly stuck with that plan during the the difficult periods uh, most likely profited from staying the course. And I look back at every tumultuous period that I've seen in my career, and I've been doing this for 15 years, I've been through some interesting markets. That truth is evident that if you stick with a game plan and, and ride out those waves, you're likely going to profit from it in the long run. Got it.
0: Alex, you're kind of the, so I don't want to call you a bookworm. I don't know where here is, but you know, you're the numbers guy. You break down the numbers. You throw out big words like that word earlier that I didn't know what it meant. <coughs> and that's all such important data to have for that perspective. But Ed, I want to turn to you now. Alex talked about what we learned about the market and our investment strategies over the course of the year. Let me widen that a little bit and ask you, Ed, what have we learned about ourselves and society in general this year?
2: Now it's time for the softer side of Birch Run.
1: (laughs) Well, it's certainly fair to say that everyone in the world has been affected by this pandemic to some extent, right? And it's the first time in modern history that every person in the world has faced the same challenge at the same time. You know, since... Early in the year, just here in the United States, we, we we've had to live with a level of uncertainty that we're not used to right. in, in the modern era in the developed world. You know, many of us have gone through periods when, when we were under shutdown orders. I don't know what it was like in Michigan this spring, but w- we were in basic shutdown for roughly three months in Pennsylvania. All over the world, kids were out of school this spring. Mm-hmm. Now, some are back in school, some are remote only, some are doing hybrid sort of programs where they go in a couple days a week. But even for kids that are going to school every day, life is certainly not normal. I mean, th- think back to what life was like for all of us in college and look at what life is like now for kids in college. Not the same by any stretch of the imagination. I have a cousin who's a sophomore
0: in college right now, and I just feel so bad for her because she's missing so much of her college experience. You don't get that time back.
1: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. The experience hasn't been there. You know, even you think about a lot of us who are middle aged that like to go out to restaurants, go to the gym every day. A lot of us haven't been to either in about 10 months at this point. Yeah. You know, a lot of people never re- worked remotely in their lives, and they've done it exclusively for the past 10 months. A lot of business owners like, like Alex and I have had to learn how to lead our teams and manage people remotely when we never did that before. Yeah. It's working well, but it's certainly not the same as being together with the same group of six team members for 50 hours a week, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you have these people who travel frequently for work or for vacations. A lot of these people haven't been on a plane since the beginning of the year. A lot of people who have big families didn't get together with them for Thanksgiving. Many more will do the same for the end-of-year holidays just to, to try to keep people safe Yeah, until they're able to be vaccinated in the first few months of next year. And what we've learned from this, we think, is that we've learned that we're all very resilient. Yeah. Whenever there's a crisis, we really can handle together more than we give ourselves credit for, right? You know, if you had told me in January what was going to happen this year, I would think this is an absolute disaster. And how would society survive? Well, guess what? Society is surviving. We've all adapted our schedules, our habits. You know, businesses have learned how to survive this adversity and sometimes thrive even. You know, some businesses have really pivoted their models in ways that have created record profits. You know, that being said, there are certain industries that will do really well when this is over. Thinking restaurants, bars, gyms, etc. That it's probably not possible. And for those people, we really hope that they can survive these next few months. Agreed. Until that pent up demand comes back, and hopefully the government will get those people that need some funds to get through the next few months. That they'll get them something in the near future with another stimulus package that includes small businesses. Um, we've also seen shopping online, right? Oh, yeah. Most of us were already doing it some. Nowadays, a lot of us don't even go into stores.
0: I think my Christmas shopping for this year, normally it's about
1: 75% online. This year it was 100 Yes, Yes, 100% for us as well and in my household and Alex's household. is a huge fan of Amazon. <laughs> and for a lot of us, it'll be that first Christmas that we don't go to the malls, that we're not buying from a lot of different stores, and and our primary provider is Amazon. And like I said, I mean, it's been going in that direction, but this has accelerated the trend. Yeah. Technologies like Zoom and GoToMeeting and Skype, you know, they were already being used in business, but this forced adaptation of these technologies have created new capabilities for businesses, and a lot of people will continue to use these technologies much more after the pandemic ends. You know, in our own business, almost all of our client meetings since March and all of our new client onboarding meetings have been done remotely sure, using Zoom technology. And, you know, while it's not exactly the same as sitting down together in our office, these meetings have been really effective. We can share our screen to review performance reports, asset allocations, update financial plans. You know, the, the webcams allow us to see each other. So you, you still have that connection. And the advantage of these sort of meetings are people don't have to travel if they don't want to. They're very efficient from a time perspective. Absolutely. And, you know, when we get through this, obviously, we think that most of our client meetings will be held face-to-face again. But we do think that some of our clients who live a little bit farther away from the office will probably choose to do remote meetings more frequently. And like I said, even though these technologies already existed, they weren't being adopted fully until people were forced to adopt them, right?
0: I think about my wife who works for a large company here in Michigan. You know, she has been working remotely since, you know, roughly St. Patrick's Day, going on nine months now. And she is able to maybe sleep a little bit later in the morning because she doesn't have to get up and get dressed and get in the car and spend half an hour in the car each way. She's got an extra hour of productivity to get her work done because she's not spending that hour of the day in her car. Not to mention, the building is saving gosh knows how much money on paper and trash removal and lights and HVAC and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, you're right. It has kind of forced us into some of this virtual technology. But once we come out of it, it'll be interesting to see. How much of it stays and how much of blending happens between in person and virtual?
1: Absolutely. We think it's going to be more of a, using the term from schools, more of a hybrid thing. Yeah. Where people do work remotely more often, but um, a lot of the work that's done at companies is most effective when people are together. You know, businesses like ours, where we see clients every day, you know, we certainly don't think that we'll ever be in an environment where we wouldn't want to keep an office. You know, and we suspect most of our meetings will come back in person, but the forced adaptation of these technologies have really, you know, expanded horizons to some extent. If we're looking for something optimistic out of this whole situation, right?
0: I mean, even for me, you know, I, I know you're a sports fan like I am. I have friends out of state that will do a screen share and watch a football game together on the weekends because it's just nice to have that interaction. We yes. can't go to a sports bar and have a beer with each other, but we can at least react to the plays and yell and scream and check in with each other and see how our families are doing. It's having that. I love my wife very much. We still like each other after nine months being stuck in the house together. But it's nice to have that interaction with friends that you don't typically see as often.
1: Modern technologies have certainly made this pandemic less bad, let's say, for businesses and for, for us as individuals. Another thing we've learned, Jag, and observed is that modern science in these pharmaceutical companies are Absolutely remarkable. This virus didn't even exist or wasn't even known 12 months ago now, right? Right. As of today, as of yesterday, the Pfizer vaccine was being distributed in the United States. Moderna's vaccine will probably be approved later this week. Mm -hmm. AstraZeneca, once they do further testing, Johnson & Johnson hopefully will be manufacturing doses for the United States in the next few months. This is one year from the creation or the discovery of this new virus. And to our understanding, the fastest vaccine development in history up until this point took four years. That was the mumps. Um, the I was
0: actually reading about this this morning. Yes. And for anybody who's worried about this being a rush job or anything like that, the research is out there and the information is out there. You can find it online. It's not that this was rushed. It's that the technology has gotten so much better. Than where we were. I mean, think about computers, think about the phones we carry around with us. The technology has, has been improved so much since the last time we dealt
1: with something like this. That's why it was able to happen so quickly. Exactly. And they're going to, at a federal level, have to do a lot of work to convince the population that this is safe and it's really these advanced technologies, right? And historically, this is really wild. You, you think vaccination in the past always happened. Well, after a virus was spreading through a population for an extended period of time. Years. Yeah. So the initial run through a population, the virus would go willy nilly. And, you know, they taught us about this flattening of the curve in the spring. And some epidemiologists say, well, it's to protect the healthcare system, but it doesn't really reduce the area under the curve, right? Because you get the herd immunity at the same level. But because of these vaccines, we're actually going to reduce the area under the curve, reduce the number of infections, because we're going to hopefully stop this virus kind of in its tracks uh, during the first half of next year in the United States, and hopefully mostly, you know, through the next year and a half or so around the world. That's absolutely remarkable that we've gone from zero to this in under 12 months if you look at, you know, historical precedent for vaccination.
0: Something you said earlier Ed, really hit me when you said it, and that is not realizing the resiliency of the people of the world, America and the world, yep. until you're in a situation that's. We all read about World War II in history books. Yes. We all read about our grandparents' generation, the and greatest D-Day. generation,
1: and our grandparents, the yep. greatest
0: generation, and the great sacrifices that everybody made 75 years ago to save the world from fascism. And we read about it in a book, but now we're experiencing okay, you know, the rubber meets the road, to use an overused cliche, but, you know, we're in a situation, we have to get it done, and it appears
1: we're getting it done. We will get it done, exactly. And prior to the Second World War, our grandparents were just like us. Yeah. They had to adapt to a much, you could argue, a bigger challenge than what we have to, certainly but they did because they had to and you know this is our challenge our generation's challenge and we're adapting and as difficult as it is we're doing it uh and another thing we've all been reminded of that had really kind of gone away over the years is that you know healthcare workers and essential yes. workers are the true heroes in the United States you know we got in this habit of worshiping these athletes, these celebrities, <laughs> these beautiful people, you know, these people who are just famous for being famous, right? Yeah. And the reality is they don't matter. The people who truly matter are those who do good for society and keep other people safe and take care of other people. You know, they, these people have kept millions of us alive while putting themselves in harm's way since last winter. You know, a lot of us are, are, are so very fortunate. To have the opportunity and the ability to do our jobs remotely. You know, th- these people are, are making sure that we get food, energy, they're teaching our kids, they're taking care of our health, they're creating treatments for disease and treating disease, and ultimately manufacturing and distributing these vaccines, all while they're taking risks and, and they've kept society running. And in the spring, there was a lot of fear that supply chains will break down, how would people get food? Would people leave their homes? You know, what would happen when you went to the supermarket? But, you know, the bravery of these people is really the reason why we're where we are right now and why we're lucky enough to have, you know, a stock market that's up for this year and why we're lucky enough to have a, a light at the end of the tunnel here with the distribution of vaccines over the next two quarters.
0: If you'll indulge me for a second, Ed, I want to read you something, if if you don't mind. This is a friend of mine who works in a grocery store. I won't say the name of the store, but it's a national chain. Uh, She posted this on Facebook the other day. I was on register at work tonight. An older lady came up to my lane with a cart filled with food. I rang up her groceries and blurted out my usual playful banter. The lady came up to pay, and this is how our conversation went. Uh, Her, this is the only place I feel safe shopping. Thank you for keeping us safe. Of course, we want all of us to keep us safe. She said, I lost my brother and my husband to COVID this year. I'm now a widow after almost 50 years of marriage. He was fine, and then I lost him. It's never going to be the same. My friend, the cashier, wait a second. Before you leave, I have something for you. Do you have something that will fix all this? No, but I have something that will make today suck a little bit less. And then she gave her flowers and uh, some chocolate in a reusable bag. It's wow. the best I could do. And the lady said, you might have just saved my life tonight. Thank you. This means more than you know. My friend, the cashier, we love you. Come see us when you're lonely. Uh, her, there are still good people. Thank you. You have no idea what this
1: means to me. Thank you. Wow. It's, it's, it's absolutely wonderful, Jag. And uh, these are, like your friend, these are the people that truly matter. They've kept us safe. They've put themselves at risk since this has started. And, and they're the ones that are, that are really getting us through this. And we owe them all a debt of gratitude. Absolutely.
0: Ed, Alex, I always enjoy talking to you both. Thank you so much for the content today. And I hope you both and your families have a healthy, happy, and safe holiday.
1: Thank you, Jag. Have a wonderful holiday and please stay safe. Here's to a brighter
2: 2021. And
0: quickly before we go, if somebody wants to talk to you about your their finances at
2: Birch Run Financial, best ways to find you. You can always find us on the web at birchrunfinancial.com. You can call our office at 484-395-2190. And you can also email our general box, which is info, I-N-F-O, at birchrunfinancial.com. That's info at birchrunfinancial.com. We're always happy to have a conversation. Thanks,
0: guys. Look forward to talking to you at a time where we can say 2020 is finally over and it's 2021. Amen, Jag.
1: Thanks, Jag. Take care.
0: Any opinions are those of Ed Lambert and Alice Cabot, not necessarily those of RJFS or Raymond James. The information contained in this report is not reported to be a complete description of the securities, markets, or developments referred to in this material. There is no assurance any of the trends mentioned will continue or forecasts will occur. The information has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but Raymond James is not guaranteed that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Any information is not a complete summary or statement of all available data necessary for making an investment decision and does not constitute a recommendation. The S&P 500 is an unmanaged index of 500 widely held stocks that is generally considered to be representative of the U.S. stock market. The examples throughout this material are for illustrative purposes only. Raymond James does not provide tax or legal advice. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing involves risk, and you may incur a profit or loss regardless of strategy selected. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Advisors, Inc. Birch Run Financial is not a registered broker-dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services. Birch Run Financial is located at 595 Swedesford Road, Suite 360, Wayne, Pennsylvania, 19087, and can be reached at 484-395-2190.